You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are live once again. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's On The Beat Live. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. That's Adam Smith, Jeremiah Holloway, and producer John Bowman keeping it all together. And as Sean Crowley says, smack that, smash that like button. I started to say smack that like button. <laughs> Whoop that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, I'm coming to you first. I am mixing it up because I like the headline I just saw. It said, Mac Brown warns of complacency with 3-0 and start. This Tar Heel football team has been here before. He knows it. Fans know it. What's different this year, Jeremiah? Yeah, well, I'll have to give a real quick shout-out to uh, Jeremy Sharp, SID over at UNC. He did give me the stat that I put in there. They've had one 4-0 start since 1997. I mean, I'm sorry, one 4-0 start since 1983, which came in 1997. Um, as far as what's different, one thing that I, I kind of noticed about this 3-0 start compared to last year, the competition they played, I feel like, is better uh, than the first three teams. Obviously, App State's the repeat, but I feel like the overall level of competition has been better. And I think since they were so close to the competition so much last year, obviously the nine wins in the Coastal is great. And then Drake May getting his name out there individually was great. They had several guys get to the NFL draft. But I think as a team, you know, all of a sudden – an ACC title became realistic and a bowl game win became realistic and, you know, a 10 win season became realistic. So I think now you're looking at a team that understands what it could do because of how close the game to doing that last year. And I think the main difference is since they see so much of that being attainable, you know, they're looking to do, it. and they have so many veteran guys Like we had Cedric Gray today and we know Cedric Gray, he didn't say it today, but in the past he said, you know, you know, he came back to, to win and to get some stuff done. So um, I think that's a lot of what the difference is, the experience and just, you know, everything that transpired last year. Adam, is that experience as big a deal as it feels like it is? Because it, it, it feels like it's a big deal. I mean, you've got a ton of guys with a ton of reps, a ton of games. Um, but like Jeremiah said, specifically, a guy like Jeremiah Holloway, <laughs> a guy like Cedric Gray. I a guy like soup. Jeremiah Holloway. <laughs> hey, get him a Jeremiah Holloway. It is, it is accurate. Uh, yeah, it's 100% accurate. Um, you bring that kind of experience to this show, it just makes us all better. Hey, there you uh, go. Uh, uh, and and, and let me, before I forget, Jeremiah and Evan Rogers on Inside Carolina Live this past Saturday from the Bulls lot allowed me to go eat. And, <laughs> and, and, and nobody missed me. And that's amazing. I love it. I love to see um, the youth stand up and make us all old guys all proud. We got depth. We got depth, man. That's what I said. There, there, there is depth on the roster here, and, and now it's quality depth. Absolutely. Adam, Carolina's experience in this type of situation, 
be it last year, be it, you know, the year before when they were supposed to be good and they just weren't. Um, a lot going for them to change this narrative heading up. I entitled the show Primetime Business Trip Pit. And it just feels that way for this team. It's just a business trip. The question is, do you think they're ready to actually put that in motion, actually accomplish that? Well, Tommy, I do. Why would I ever disagree with you, T.A.? Uh, <laughs> Please do sometimes. I, I mean, <laughs> I do. And, and I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, I mean, I don't think they're exactly going to play the defending Super Bowl champions, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, this, you know, not to crap on Pitt, but I don't, you know, they're not, they're not going too great right now. But yeah, I mean, the experience is there. There are a lot of college graduates. There are a lot of graduate school guys. I mean, think of how many fifth and sixth and seventh year mm -hmm. seniors. They have a ton of just experienced dudes. Even the transfer guys, obviously, are um, almost all grad transfers. Mm -hmm. um, what is it on the line? Three sixth-year guys and one seventh-year guy on the offensive line? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think – I think the experience is there. I think Carolina, through three games – looks like a confident team in a lot of ways. I don't think they've – I think we all could agree that they haven't played, you know, the A game yet. Uh, and obviously getting getting out of the app game alive with a win was a was a big deal because uh, they could have easily lost that game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is – I think this is an experienced and confident group. And I think the way the ACC looks, I think that thing is wide slap open, um, at least right now here – in the middle of September. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think that the fact that the last two times Carolina has played up there at Pitt have been losses in overtime, both of them, you know, and there's a lot of guys that remember those games. And, um, I mean, the game two years ago, I mean, obviously, as we've talked about, it's pouring down rain in overtime when Carolina has the ball um, after Pitt scores. You know, there's a lot of people. Drake, you know, Drake – He's only started – he's only in his second year, but he was up there that that night. You know, like they, they took him, you know, even though it was Sam Howell's job and Jacoby Criswell was in the mix, you know, they took three quarterbacks everywhere in 2021, and I think that was helpful for Drake because he was – he went all, all all over the place with him. He went to Notre Dame. You know, he did the whole deal. So, um, yes, I'm not going to disagree with you on this one, T.A. I think I think their experience I, – I, I think this is a game they, they should win, um, and I think they should put them away. Honestly, Tommy, I'm going to answer your question even more definitively than Adam. And I'm going to say this is a distinctly different start in terms of the three and O start than the last two times that UNC has started to three and O. So if you go back to that 2020 season, they started three and O with wins over Syracuse, Boston College and Virginia Tech. But that Boston College win was a squeaker that was on the road against mm -hmm. Phil. Jerkovic, as you covered on the uh, day after podcast, Tommy. But there was also a game in there in which they gave up 45 points to Virginia Tech. Then you flipped the calendar last year, that 3-0 and start. That included a game against App State where UNC had a post-game win expectancy of 43.6, and they gave up 28 points to Georgia State and 24 points to Florida A&M. This 3-0 and start is different. UNC has beaten quality opponents, but they themselves have also looked very good. If you look at the post-game S&P Plus win expectancy from this season, UNC with a 94.1% post-game win expectancy against South Carolina, 96% against App State, and 97% against Minnesota. This is a team that is laying its foot on the gas pedal to start the year, and it's a distinctly different start than some of the other 3-0 starts that Mac Brown has referenced. And just to add to that, I think it's – uh, I was trying to dig up the stat here. I think Carolina is UNC is one of four teams nationally. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. That has won two out of conference games against power conference opponents. I think that I think it's four. It's like Utah, Carolina. I've got it here somewhere. Um, but it's a it's a select group. And um, yeah, I think I think that's I'm, I, I thought I had it here, but it's I think Carolina is one of one of four. And um, go ahead. No, I think you're right there, but I've got a stat, and I never have stats. Oh. Because <laughs> I, I finally figured out how to log in, PFF. North Carolina, uh, 13th on PFF rankings. Strength of schedule to date, one being the hardest in the nation, North Carolina, the fifth hmm. hardest schedule thus far 
Um, conversely, they have the 90th ranked schedule remaining. So fifth is by far the highest in the top 13. Texas at 12, Alabama at 14. The rest are, are down. Florida State's up there as well. But 90th is by far the, the quote-unquote easiest remaining schedule of any teams there. So I agree with John in this. And by the way, they predict the average wins to be 9.7. So that would be the over, folks, if you go back to the over-under podcast. Um, but that being said, they have to go up to pit and do it. Adam and Jeremiah, one question I didn't hear asked, and it, it should have been, is who's watching the weather radar as this game is played? Because everybody two years ago saw that storm coming and Carolina deferred and let Pitt take the ball, or Pitt got the ball to open it, and, and then the arc weather started. So anyway, I mean, I was not there personally, but people I know were there, and, and you guys were there covering uh, it poured, and Carolina had no shot to tie that game up or, or to win that game. And Mac Brown was dripping wet afterward. I mean, <laughs> absolutely soaked. It was, you, it was it was dripping off of him. You talking about uh, looking like somebody lost their dog in the rain, <laughs> the entire Carolina team that day, and the fan base, just a disaster of an overtime Let's uh let's look at this some more. And, and and John Thorpe, no, no, I'm not picking twelve and zero ever again just because the masses want it, and I'm not doing what the masses want. <laughs> Jeremiah Cedric Gray is is a guy that we know he's a leader, um, but but watching him the last two and a half years in in post game press conferences, he's become not only a leader in the locker room but a leader in that regard as well. Um, and you can't overestimate the importance of that. Your take on what he's doing, not only on the field, um, he led the nation in tackles, we close to it last year. He, he's got great numbers this year. But his leadership standpoint and what it means to this team this season, especially with a team that's got a ton of veterans that mm-hmm. may not need to be led um, or want to be led, he's still able to accomplish it and everybody's following. Yeah, so I've said it on this podcast before that I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. And so, you know, I have to make the analogy of he's kind of taken on the the Ray Lewis role a little bit, you know, of kind of being that uh, linebacker kind of anchor on the uh, on the defense. I think when I when I look at it, when I heard him talk today, um, it's clear that he's somebody that's really established himself as one of the primary voices. And he's a guy that a lot of those guys respect on the defensive side. He was talking a lot about how he learned a lot from Jeremiah Gimmel, who was there. He was really, you know, kind of that guy before Cedric Gray became a star, uh, became a starter and took over. And he's really took it upon himself. He was saying that he felt that he was blessed to have a um, have de- have leadership abilities and have leadership qualities. And so what he's doing is he's trying to, uh, you know, take advantage of that essentially um, and, and transfer that onto the rest of the team and the rest of the roster. As you guys mentioned, there's a lot of experienced guys. Some of those guys are, you know, they might have more experience in college football, but haven't been around UNC necessarily because some of it might be by way of transfer or whatever the case may be. So, um you know, Cedric Gray is somebody that's, you know, pretty much established himself. Obviously, with his play, you know, you can't help but respect the play on the field. I think that does play a lot into it. But you heard Mac Brown talking about him being a uh, on-field leader. He's going over to a huddle to, you know, send a message to the team. And he's given that exact message as soon as he gets over there. Um, so I think Cedric Gray, yes, with his talent, he, he makes a lot of plays. I mean, he's been responsible for, I think, two of the interceptions UNC's had so far, um, if I remember correctly, uh, or maybe maybe just one, but at least one. Uh, you know, but at any rate, I think that, you know, him doing what he's – and you, you just hear it. Like, you hear the level of leadership uh, when he talks, when he was up there, um, you know, at the podium today. You just hear it, and you just understand that he, he just kind of has the – the mindset to, you know, kind of lead and, you know, and take over in that way. Adam, your take there. You've done this for a long time, covered North Carolina football for for a good while. Who, Not picking Ray Lewis since that gets some folks fired up for <laughs> non-football related reasons, I guess. Who, who does he remind you of for North Carolina? Is there a guy? 
Oh, man. You put me on the spot here, T.A. Absolutely. Uh, We're all about spots. While you're talking, Phil Jerkovic, 195th ranked quarterback on PFF. We'll talk about that in a minute. Phil Jerkovic is uh, – is, is has his last two games is 18 for 52 passing for a crisp completion percentage of 34.6 which ain't gonna win you many games that's the stat i'm getting uh i'm getting a message on my cellular phone that it was yeah i had actually looked it up to the person texting me it was uh it's unc colorado utah and fresno state are the only four teams nationally that have beaten two power conference uh, foes, UNC, Utah, Colorado, Fresno State. But I appreciate the person texting me, and I appreciate them watching as always. I uh, bailed um, you out. Now I need a I need a comp. <laughs> I need a Carolina comp for or any comp. Well, Carolina player from the past. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I just listening to Jeremiah talk. I think that I think I mean I think definitively Cedric Gray is the leader of that defense and maybe the entire team. Um, you know. It was a bad moment last year for Carolina when when Notre Dame came in and sort of just steamrolled them and, and manhandled them in Keenan and a lot of people were disappointed and Tony Grimes was pushing people and you know it was it was it was a bit of a mess and uh, I remember I wrote a column off that game game that said you should listen to Cedric Gray because mm-hmm. yeah I feel like the guy speaks with a lot of uh, there's a lot of gravity in what the man says uh, David Thornton that's a guy I went to school with um, there's another one right there. I, don't, I would disagree on Brandon Spoon being a leader, but I don't I consider Brandon Spoon a friend. He, Brandon Spoon didn't talk. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I grew up with Brandon Spoon, but he just, he was not a vocal leader. Oh, we need uh, to hear those stories. <laughs> that guy was jacked. You ought to see what that guy was lifting when he was like 15 years old. It was ridiculous. We, we The two of us happened to be on the dream team in Alamance County, the drug <laughs> resistance education through athlete mentors and we would go to different elementary schools in the mid 90s and i was like 175 pounds and looked like a nerd and spoon would look like a freaking greek god i mean it was unreal the muscles on that guy at that age so you know it looked like you were with your like daddy walking everyone wanted to talk to spoon you know nobody wanted to talk to me which for good reason um but i'm stalling i don't have a comparison i don't know if i have a comparison who um i love for in terms of on the beat stuff brian simmons maybe yeah how about k mays k mays Mm -hmm. was a a very outspoken dude i mean if you think about like the julius peppers and the greg ellis's and the ebenezer ecubons they were sort of quiet guys i always thought um i mean peppers did not talk but he was a monster um you know i think a k maze you know uh he did not shut up um you know k maze who once broke shaquille o'neal's texas high school basketball scoring record by the way wow um, look at that look at those stats stats you can only find i think he scored like seven, 70 points in a high school game god knows who they were playing the warp uh, in the chat was thinking where i was going k red yeah Kevin yeah Riddick. can't yeah can't disagree with that one I think the bottom line is Carolina's had a lot of talented linebackers in that role that have been very important to the defense. Some defenses were better than others, but uh, there's always seemed to have been a linebacker that was just a beast for Carolina. Uh, that was mostly the leader of the defense, you know. And I think Seth Gray, like like y'all said, is definitely that guy. My favorite thing Max said about power echoes and we're about the team is he didn't have to tell power to get ready that dude's always ready and, yeah. and, and so there's no reason to talk to power he, he, he's ready to go talking about power jeremiah power had a a nice play a tip drill interception um but he was taken advantage of a little bit against app state uh, with some of the some of the skills north carolina going to pittsburgh with a struggling quarterback We'll just get right into this game and move off of the last three weeks. Mm. How do those linebackers play on Saturday night? Um, are they are they the App State version or are they every other game version against a team like Pittsburgh that wants to be physical? Yeah, I was talking a little bit actually with Adam uh, earlier today, just the idea that 
Um, Minnesota, a lot because of, you know, the size that they have. And, yes, their style of play, too. But they're also a pretty physical football team as well. And so I think the fact you get that back-to-back, that almost helps you in preparation, too. Just the rep of, you know, playing against a team that's as physical as Minnesota was. Now, you know, there's some differences there. Some differences schematically, I think. But um, I don't know. I think when you look at the linebacker core, uh, one thing that's interesting to point out while I'm thinking about it, um, Cedric Cray, I think, has actually played every snap so far. Power Eccles has played almost every snap, um, you know, in the, in the linebacker room. So um, I think because of the fact that you just got Minnesota and you just saw what kind of worked there, um, you know, from a physicality standpoint, you should, you know, expect a – you should expect them to perform, I guess, more similar to how Minnesota was. This is the thing about App State, real quick. I just think App State, from a game plan perspective, just had a better game plan than UNC did that game. I really just think App State was, you know, more prepared. I don't even think it was a thing of UNC underestimated them or came out flat. I just, I really just think App State put together a better game plan. And that's why you saw a lot of the success that they had. Uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But um, I think that linebacker group, uh, you know, should be good. Here's the interesting thing about uh, the pick quarterback. I'm watching the – I was watching the Pat uh, Narduzzi press conference a little bit earlier. They're they're sticking with him. I mean, they're really not trying to – I know you got teams like Alabama with, you know, some of their quarterback, you know, issues and whatever and stuff like that. But Pitt's saying, hey, like, we're going to roll with this guy because – the locker room, I mean, this this is the guy that, you know, they know and, and everything like that. So they sound pretty committed to him. So, you know, we'll see if they make a change mid-game. It doesn't sound like they will. Um, he's been struggling. Pitt right now is – I think they have the worst – they have the fewest passing yards per game right now in, among ACC teams. They're at 178. Not very good, uh, you know, especially – when you start in one and two. So, um, but I think as far as the linebacker play, you know, if they're able to, if Seth Gray is able to kind of get pressure on the quarterback, like he did, uh, you know, I would say probably last week, um, then I think they should be, that unit should be straight. Yeah. Jeremiah, I like, like the point you made there about the similarity between uh, Pitt and Minnesota. I think about these two games as being more similar than different uh, CFB numbers on Twitter puts out a chart each week with ESPN QBR and PFF offensive grade. And there's a few quarterbacks in the bottom left quadrant. That's where you don't want to be. The Greek rifle from Minnesota is down there. Cade McNamara mm-hmm. from Iowa is down there. Noah Kim, not the kicker, but the quarterback mm-hmm. at Michigan State is down there, along with Phil Jerkovic. So I think it's going to be a very similar game that we're going to see this upcoming Saturday where you have a pretty putrid pit offense, a little bit of alliteration there uh, <laughs> coming out to the, and taking the field, but they have a solid defense that I think is going to test UNC and, and test Drake may. So it's not a, an opponent to be taken lightly, but I do think the games may play out very similarly uh, on Saturday. I definitely could see that happening. Also, I mean, does John shirt not make you want to play some golf? Like there's something about it that I just want to, you know, our offices are right across from Finley golf course. There's nothing like looking out there and just like, kind of makes you want to just like, is it open uh, yet? Cause I'm tempted just to walk out there with a club. And, and just, well, uh, no, there were people playing today. There oh, were really? people playing. I was taking notes. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it is a beautiful golf course. They've oh only made it more beautiful. I was over well, yeah. at the office on Monday and at about four from about 4 PM to about 6 PM, every jogger, and bicycler in Chapel Hill came by. It was kind of like just taunting, taunting the hell out of me, like, hey, you know, like beautiful out, seventy-five oh, yeah, and sunny, just, just perfect. Yeah. But I was thinking as we were talking about Pitt, like, how about Drake May? He, I pointed at him today. I didn't mean to, but I was like, you know, this guy doesn't forget. And he mentioned the Pitt linebacker. I had forgotten about it. The Pitt linebacker who, during the middle of the week last year, before they played Carolina made the comments in front of TV cameras and microphones. Like, you know, if we happen to hurt Carolina's quarterback, because at that point, Drake May was on fire. You know, he was – the star was rising sharply. Um, he made the comment, what, if, if the other quarterback happens to get hurt, it's not our fault. That's our job to knock him out. Uh, you know, so much has happened since then. That's sort of been lost 
to the uh, corners of my mind, but Drake has not forgotten. I mean, I was, it was, I thought it was very interesting that he brought that up today when we were asking him just about Pitt's reputation as, you know, being a team that likes to try to bully you, you know, likes to get physical and rough you up. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was super interesting. Um, and also, Tyler Wiltz, Tyler Wiltz. Yeah, it wasn't like Servassier Dennis or Kalijah Cansey. <laughs> like, you know, like Pitt, that Pitt defense put guys in the NFL. Cansey was, what, defensive player of the year, right? And, yes. and a first round pick. He was a monster. I remember when the NFL draft was going this spring, I told my daughter when he got picked, I was like, you might see a Carolina highlight here because I remember he sacked Drake like three or four times. And sure enough, boom. You know, I actually called that one right. But I was also thinking just on the, on the Drake subject, wasn't it Narduzzi who outed is not the right word? Wasn't he the one that said, hey, these teams are coming after Drake May in the portal and offering him $5 million? I think mm-hmm. he was the yeah, one was. that, for whatever reason, said it, right? Is that true? Yeah, he brought it up initially. Um, or well, not initially, because we had certainly heard the the rumors, but, right, but he, he 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 put, put it, it into the public, yeah, ether. You know, Alabama should have offered more, because good <laughs> God, they are terrible at, at quarterback. I mean, it's fascinating to watch a team like that. That you know, that anyway. Uh, yeah, real quick, real quick point on that. While I'm thinking about it, I was reading the ESPN article earlier, and they were talking about Alabama's quarterback struggles, and they brought up that Drake May at one point was Alabama commit. So what would it look like? Because they were talking about how they went from uh, Hurts to Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. So they were like, Drake was supposed to be right after that. So, you know, just throwing that out there for your dinner dinner table. It's an interesting thought. (laughs) They they would be in the national championship race without question. Right. It's always interesting to hear Drake say, you know, it's not easy to tell Nick Saban no. Like, you know, (laughs) you're like a 17-year-old dude, you know, like, that's always interesting, I feel like, when Drake brings those up. Speaking of John's shirt, this is a great one. <laughs> yeah, he, John does a Seahawk uh, on the beat right before this and didn't switch, even though they're going to be old UNCW colors. It's funny, Adam, that you brought it up, too, because I spend a long time antagonizing about what I'm going to wear on this show. I wake up on Tuesday mornings <laughs> thinking about, can I wear this shirt on the show, or is it not? <laughs> and I think about Am I wearing the same shirt twice? You know, am I? We- I think about all these things. I don't think anybody cares. I've never noticed what any of you three are wearing, but I spent a long time because I also can't wear anything. You know, Carolina blue. You have to be color neutral. So you there's got a, whole a cookout. You got a Carolina blue cookout shirt that started yes. a heck of a discussion. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is one of my golf shirts, by the way. So uh, you know. this is Kiss Army, circa nineteen seventy-five, showing my age. Um, John, you look great. I didn't mean to heckle you too much. <laughs> not, not at all. Hey, you know what? That heckle is fine. I've received a few heckles this week about my pick, uh, picking <laughs> Minnesota. Those are a little tougher to stomach. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not running from it. I was the only one to pick Minnesota on the panel. Uh, and I doubled down last week on the show, so you know what? I have I have to own that, just like I uh, own the shirt choice here. Yeah, and we need to. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'd rather somebody own it than run mm-hmm. from it. <laughs> and and what we need to start doing, and somebody on the message board or in the chat said we need to start publishing our picks every week. Uh, we need to do something like that and keep up with it, and then have some sort of award. I think I've got an old uh, like World Wrestling Federation Championship belt that we can you know, recreate into the IC Pick'em Challenge champions. And, and we could make the loser, as, as G. Dixon suggests in the chat, we could make, let's just say John loses. I'm not saying he will, but hypothetically, let's say John loses. Yeah, we could, we could you know, do some sort of punishment. Like, you know, you lose your fantasy football league. You have to do whatever. Maybe he needs to sing the fight song. Or we could, let's, let's. Let's think about this. We can take recommendations from our loyal audience um, throughout the season. Getting a little nervous over here. When November comes around, we can settle on what John – I'm just saying John hypothetically again, what John would be doing if he loses uh, the the picks challenge. This is something we can all think about as a collective group. Well, Jeremiah's sitting there quiet, but he's had Carolina at eight and four. So they might be they might be singing a duet. And it won't be the North Carolina fight song. It'll be the Minnesota Golden Gophers fight song. <laughs> well, I picked them to beat Minnesota. I picked them to beat Minnesota. They, uh, 
speaking of it, shout out to the Minnesota fans that came down. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single Minnesota fan that we ran across, except one guy that kept yelling at me, telling me, you will know Tyler Newbin before this game is over. Uh, except that one guy, all great people, looking forward to the return trip. Minnesota State Fair, Minnesota Twins, Minnesota North Carolina football, Labor Day weekend. Man, I can't wait to that. And it's, what, 360 days away, already looking forward to it. Is that the opener for 2024? Unless they have a week zero game, yes. Yeah. You know, maybe they can play Campbell again on the week zero or something or whoever they've got scheduled up. But, yes, Labor Day weekend, which I believe that Saturday is August 31st. So, uh, roughly 50 weeks away, looking forward to it already. Uh, Slagle points out August 31st, 2024. So it'll be here before you know it. So anyway, looking forward to it. Anything left before I take a break? Because I want to come back after the break and sort of talk more in depth about this trip to Pittsburgh because I do think it's sort of a – I think somebody in the press said litmus test, and Max said they're all litmus tests. But anything left before I do this fabulous Johnny T-shirt read? John, do you want to do the Johnny T-shirt read? You know, Tommy, it's it's getting colder outside, and it's time to take a look at that wardrobe. You know, maybe see, <laughs> hey, you know what? I need to go get a new jacket. I need to go get a new hoodie for myself to go purchase at Johnny T-shirt. They have a location on Franklin Street. You can go stop by. It's a great location, uh, right next to Cosmic Cantina on Franklin Street. If you can't stop by in person, or if you're not going to be in Chapel Hill between now and the next UNC home game. You can always go to johnnytshirt.com. They have everything you need on their e-commerce store. Use the Inside Carolina code to get an extra discount, 10% off on your purchase. Tommy, we're going to take a break here. We're going to let the national guys pay the bills. John Siegley, our true producer, is going to get this ad break in, and we'll be back to talk more UNC football. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. We're back, and that, folks, if if you're just joining us now on the live chat, that just warms my heart to see <laughs> to see producer John just sort of take over the reins of on the beat. Aren't you out next week? I am out next week. Yes. Oh, I, uh, I know. So that's glory. We've got to get our uh, ducks in a row for next week. You're listening to on the beat, Jeremiah, Adam, John, myself, Johnny T-shirt, that sponsor that John Bowman so wonderfully. Uh, did not read, just did it on the fly. Those are the best kind of ad reads. Support those guys, seriously. Get on Franklin Street, and, you know, Johnny T-shirt won't be like Canes. Is is the Canes open yet on no. Franklin Street? Mm-hmm. That mess has been coming soon, longer than, uh, you know. Johnny T-shirt's always there, and they always deliver, so take care of them. All right, Freddie Kitchen's comment. Let me find it, Adam. You told me to mark it. I said I would, and I did. And Somebody got it. I don't even know how to do that stuff. I'm not smart enough. It's all right. We too many, too many uh, chefs in the kitchen, and we'll get our hands cut. Is yes. this a? Well, I just wanted to tell M. Cam like that would not be a punishment. I mean, I <laughs> love Freddie Kitchens. I love that dude. Um, I could, I will go out on a limb and say Freddie enjoys me some of the time. Uh, <laughs> I think we have a great relationship. I mean, I see Freddie around. I love talking to Freddie. I love talking to him on the record and off the record. I mean, Freddie is what a 
what a find he has been, you know? Like I think about uh, Kamari Morales telling us, Jeremiah remembers it, and T.A., you probably were there too, like in the preseason that he had seen people talking crap on social media about Freddie Kitchens being an NFL retread and all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, gosh, I think he has been fantastic. Okay. Oh, I see M. Cam's talking to me now. Oh, you would pay for the – you don't have to do that, baby. Um, <laughs> well, you can pay producer John, you know. he's. Oh, oh yeah. You can just, just make uh, – out. Yeah, are you an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber? Because we would put that on Super Premium, you know, ninety nine ninety nine a month. Your I first would do month's that free. Day of the year, I would love to sit down with Freddie Kitchens for like a sixty minute style. Let's do this, Freddie. I mean, yeah. the stories the guys the guy has are just unreal. You He's know what? You know what caught me the most the other day when he was with the availability on Wednesday, a couple Wednesdays ago. He's not even fifty years old, right? Right. And think of the the wealth of knowledge that's in that head, and he's not even fifty, and that yeah, made me feel old. But then say well. like they would love to have Freddie as the next head coach. You know, like I think Freddie's just he's just awesome. Like I I would think I, I wouldn't be against him being the. I don't know how Bubba Cunningham feels, and uh, <laughs> he says a lot because I tend to try to check with him a lot if there's a succession plan. He says there's no max. Max session plan, but uh, I don't think Freddie would be a bad pick. Uh, and I think Freddie's having a great time doing what he's doing right now. Yeah, you, 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 yeah. I, I mean, he, he's great to talk to. Love guys that'll just tell it like it is. I mean, there's plenty of coach speak in the world. So when somebody pops up and just gets more free with it, gets more, um, offers up exactly what comes out um, with very little filter, it's great. He's one of those guys. North Carolina's got. More than one, and I think Mac's gotten more that way uh, yeah. over the years. And um, you know, I I'm not a fan of that. Got to go watch the tape. You yeah. know, we'll see what happened. Type guys, and we all know that North Carolina's had their share of those. Uh, Jeremiah, get in here. Um, favorite North Carolina assistant coach to talk to. I've <laughs> <laughs> not I've not thought good about. Question. Oh, that is a good question. Um. Favorite assistant coach. I liked when we had Charlton Warden. Charlton Warren. Uh, I thought he had some good stuff to say. I thought, um, you know, very engaging, um, everything like that. So, so far, I'm going to say probably Charlton Warren, you know, was cool. And I actually really enjoyed talking to Freddie Kitchens, too. I actually thought the same thing when the guy, um, when our guy put the comment in the chat of uh, the Dateline having to be Adam's punishment. I was like, Adam would love that. I was like, you know, but – but yeah, man. So yeah. But, and Tommy, yeah. you had a you had some good moments with Tim Cross last week. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, trying to get his grass cut and, and uh, you know all that stuff. That snow shoveled. Yeah, really. Yeah. He, uh, I thought, I, I thought Cross is you know for a guy that has taken a pounding from the fan base. You know, you can't argue with with how their guys have done and we can argue how and why or whatever, but the bottom line, his unit has, has produced this year. And I thought cross was great to talk to as well. Looking forward to tomorrow's availability. Stay tuned to inside Carolina for that. Tommy, Thigpen. Tommy Thigpen and Tamari Fox. And I think mm, Tamari Fox is, uh, is mm-hmm. going to be a good one. I had this up. John took it down. Bigger fan Adam of Freddie <laughs> kitchens or Greg Barnes of Narduzzi. <laughs> Whew. I can't figure out, and I have to ask Greg. I can't figure out if it's if it's a true fanship of Greg and Narduzzi. Greg's not it, here to defend himself. I know, really. <laughs> so we will not uh, we will not uh, hold Greg to that. All right, Sean Crowley, and we're having fun with this on the beat podcast, folks. Not terribly serious tonight. Adam and Jeremiah, is there good accommodations in Pitt? Are you getting the Motel Six near? We're what's in the that say? Inn, aren't we, Jeremiah? Is that what Weird. it is? We're actually spending the night in the stadium, so we're going to be, you know, putting our blankets out on the field, and we're going to be uh, spending the night in the stadium. So, nah, the sprinklers but, will wake us up. <laughs> yeah, I think Jim Hawkins has to take care. Of. I don't know. <laughs> Jim Hawkins will be in the penthouse suite wherever it is. <laughs> Hawkins will uh, he will pick you guys up on the way back to the airport. Uh, here's an interesting question, and Adam, you can get in on this, and it's not specifically Carolina related. But who would have predicted start of the season at Clemson FSU would be a nooner? I think that's intentional because uh, is it Fox, 
that's killing the big noon games and, and having, you know, the Big Ten and whatever at noon, I think the ACC and ESPN wants to have a marquee game at noon. Um, thoughts on Clemson and Florida State, Adam? Well, uh, may I toot my own horn here? Right. Can I do some tooting here? Absolutely. Um, I actually did it from the beach. I remember, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I haven't put enough thought into this. But they needed it. it one of our 24-7, like, overlords had contacted us about filling out, like, your ACC predictions or whatever. It was way more involved than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like, oh, I'll just do a 1 through 14. It was, you know, I, it took me way longer than I wanted. But I predicted, this would have been in early July, that FSU, I know that's not crazy, would go into Clemson and win that game, which is now on Saturday. Um, I actually predicted uh, in that one, for some reason, I predicted Carolina to go to Clemson and beat them. But in our picks for this, I picked Carolina to lose to Clemson. I guess I'm not being uniform. But, I mean, the way FSU played at Boston College gives you a lot of paws, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Of course, the way Clemson played at Duke gives you a lot of paws. Uh, I think FSU is a narrow favorite, like a one-and-a-half two-point favorite um i'm not sure that's it if you are a unc if you obviously want unc to have the best season it can who do you want to win that game like who would you want to win that game john if if you're looking out for unc's best interests do you think clemson or fsu i would say you want clemson to win because clemson is still on the schedule and you know we've talked about all all off season long you're trying to take advantage of drake may's final season you want that game against Clemson to be as big a window as possible. If you're playing a six and three Clemson team at that point, I don't think that game has quite as much meaning, but Tommy, you're shaking your head. Do you disagree? Yeah. Cause I, I've thought about this far too much. Um, <laughs> you know, Carolina's got to beat Clemson regardless. Right. So, so if Carolina goes seven and one beats Clemson and Clemson seven and one, then they get the tiebreaker no matter what else happened. Do you do you want a Florida State? Do you want one team in the conference to be eight and zero, or yeah, eight and zero, nine and zero, eight and zero, or do you want a bunch of teams at seven and one, six and two? So, and I think this game for Florida State is that the, Florida State, you know, they were sick. Jason Staples will tell you the entire team had the flu against Boston College, um, and, and that may be the case, but realistically, they they very easily could have lost that game. Um, but for a terrible face mask penalty late. So I flip-flopped. You know, I kind of think that it doesn't matter if Carolina doesn't beat Clemson, but you put a loss on Clemson and maybe the Clemson-Carolina game is not not as important depending on what else happens. I don't think Clemson – and Clemson lost to Duke, so that would be two losses. one loss. Yeah, so I I tend to think – I don't know. I say all that to say I have no idea. Yeah. I don't care. But I want to see if uh, Dabo can talk about bringing your own guts like he's done so many times after Clemson wins big ball games because I do think that it is could be a significant changing of the guard in the ACC if Florida State goes in there and whips Clemson. And they don't lose at home. So, yeah, it would be – right. It would be a change in the guard in several different categories. Exactly. So, just to, the bottom line is Carolina's got to win – you went out, nothing else matters. Uh, let, let me see if this is a fireable, bannable uh, offense here. Um, oh, man. God. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know who's who. Am I the old one? You know, Adam Go, McKnight. Look at the you, young bucks just laughing their butts off down there. Hey, yo, Adam McKnight, do not answer that question. Let them guess. Let them figure out which one is which. <laughs> Adam McKnight, if I could ban you from the chat, my friend, I would ban you to eternity. Uh, is that Ross Martin in disguise? Because I believe he has said the very same thing. Well, you do have a little more hair than me, um, and I'm a little more grayed out. So. Oh my God! What a I'm terrible way to associated with Tommy. Just turn. No, hey, hey, at least you're a good talker. That is a. <laughs> they always end up winning in the end. All right, serious stuff. Tony Dowd asks, and this is for you, Jeremiah. Do we think Drake May will be taking any more hits like he did Saturday? I hope he realizes how important it is to hold on the ball and slide. Drake was asked that uh, after the game. He was asked that today. Um, 
one thing that caught my ear, he said, I'm not going to change the way I play. Yeah, I do need to, to get out of bounds or, or slide or whatever, but I'm not going to change the way I play. He's just not the type of guy that's going to consciously avoid contact in the heat of the battle, is he, Jeremiah? Yeah, he's going to take some hits. He's going to take some hits. I don't know if he'll take one like he took in that first quarter, or I think it was actually the first drive, because uh, mm-hmm. it was that one, and I think App State got him pretty good later. In, the two-point conversion. That's yeah. yeah, the two point conversion. Yeah, I could see it honestly, especially if the game gets close and they do need him to like really start moving around. And because um, if you remember the App State game before overtime, the drive that would have been the game winning drive had the the kick attempt gone in. Um, that was even a drive where they needed him to use his legs a little bit and like really be a little bit more active. So um, that's the type of player he is. You know, what's interesting. He was saying that you know we. We all we all know that he looks up to Sam Howell. They still have a really good relationship, and he brought up Sam Howell again today. And he was like, "Well, I never saw Sam Howell slide and go out of bounds." So, you know, that's that's where his mentality is at. And when you're in that game mode, you're not necessarily thinking all the time about, you know, am I gonna get hurt? Am I whatever? Like he like he was saying. I see a first down marker. I'm gonna go try to get to the first down marker. Um, when you do that, you put yourself in a position to get hit. But that, again, I'm not saying that as a negative. That's the type of player he is. That's how he plays the game. So, yeah, I could see, you know, I mean, it's like that Minnesota one. I mean, that was that was a hit. So I, That dude popped you know, him. That guy, he got him. He got him really yeah. good. So I don't know that that hit will happen, but he'll, he'll put himself in a position to, you know, where, you know, they'll bring him down a few times if he gets – um outside the pocket and that's not just you know pit but that could be you know any team really the point i wanted to to sort of to piggyback on jeremiah here was it was an interesting moment and, and it's cool obviously being in person is you know with what we do is is better than the the zoom stuff in my opinion and it was a cool little moment i thought today when he was talking about that as jeremiah said you know he's talking about the first down sticks he he, he made a comment he said you know, he was admitting that, yes, you know, he does not need to take hits like that. Obviously, he doesn't. And then he cut his eyes just to the side real quick, which Drake has been doing some stuff like this this year. I mean, Drake is a prankster. You know, he'll give you a wink. There's a couple times he'll give you a wink real quick, you know, and it's like, what are you up to, Drake? Like, while he's answering these questions. But he was it was a ch- question from Chip Alexander today of the News and Observer, and he cut his eyes back toward where Jeremiah and I were sitting. I don't know if you can pick it up on the video. And he looked back at Chip and he's like, but you see those sticks and it's hard to turn it off. Or I don't know if he said turn it off, but he was basically saying, you see those sticks and I just cannot slide. Uh, and he gave that look like, yeah, I probably will have to say the good public relations stuff here. But I don't know. You know, I don't know if you can count on him sliding Saturday night when he's trying to get a first down. Um, you know, they went through the whole thing last year, as we all know, of trying to get him to stop hurdling people. You know, he just was hurdling people early in the season. And, I mean, it was you know, you had the Virginia Tech one where he should have never tried to hurdle. Uh, I think Armani Chapman was actually over there for Virginia Tech that day when he tried to hurdle like two or three guys. But I just thought that I wanted to add that I thought that was a really neat little moment when Drake. I mean, he literally gave gave a couple of us the side eye, like, "Are you are you listening here?" And <laughs> then he said, "Just hard to." I'm paraphrasing. It's hard to turn it off when you see those sticks. We've got a few more questions here in the chat. If you want to get your question, make sure to do the. Uh, chat here on the YouTube version of the show. This one is for Tommy from Ooh. Alan Mitten. Do we think Blackwell will be ready for Saturday after that major hit he took? Can you update the viewers on the injury update Mac Brown gave about Gavin Blackwell? Well, Mac said, and Jeremiah and Adam can correct me if I'm wrong, he said he'd be evaluated day to day and have to go through the test, a.k.a. sounded like protocols. Right, he said it without saying it. Right. So we so yeah. we know what that means, but look, uh, that field is hard, and he that was a t- that was a rough hit, and if if my memory is correct, it was pretty much face down on it. He he's he's in a situation where you you got to worry about the health of the player, and North Carolina is over the top, and rightfully so, in protecting their guys when it comes to concussions. We remember several years ago, I don't know, it's been five or six or seven now, uh, that Fedora talked about concussions and got himself in trouble when North Carolina is on the leading edge of concussions in football and all the 
the steps they were taking. So if there's any question about his health, um, be it a concussion or anything else or an upper body, uh, then you sit him and, and you let him get healthy. And uh, because number one, they preach consistently about it's all about the player, it's about the player. And, and you know, I expect them to do that again. But if he's cleared, then he's going to be ready to go. And Pittsburgh can give up some deep shots. And, and Gavin Blackwell certainly a guy that can get there. This next question is from Jimbo Whitfield. He asks, how can UNC keep up the intensity playing a seemingly down pit team? Jeremiah, did you pick up on that at all in the press conferences this week? Do you get the sense that UNC thinks this is a down pit team or is the focus, do you think, the same as it's been for the first three games? To be honest, I didn't really get that sense. Um, yeah, I... I, I didn't really get the sense that they they look at Pitt as a, you know, less – well, I, we'll see this. Um, Cedric Gray did say that they're a less talented team than they had been in the past, <laughs> which did. is true. Um, so I will say that. But I think mostly, definitely from the coaching staff, they're kind of looking at this like we're 3-0. We're not trying to screw this up. We're not trying to, you know, blow this 3-0. Um, and then from the players, I honestly got the same thing. I mean, the Cedric Gray quote was – that was probably the only one, but he even was saying schematically they do a lot of the same things. Um, you saw Drake talking about the physicality that they like to play with and understanding that. So, you know, how can UNC keep the intensity? I think it kind of goes back to, you know, what I was talking about earlier of you understand what can be accomplished because you were so close to it last year, you know, on all three kind of fronts. So I think that's kind of how you do it. I think it's, and again, you know, bringing up the App State game just one more time, um, you know, I, I saw some people saying, you know, UNC always plays down to the competition. Again, that was one where App State was just more prepared than they were. So, but I do think that's part of it. I think your game plan and how you approach, um, yeah, approach from practice, but approaching just having a system in place to play Pittsburgh, I think all of that, you know, intertwines together. Like, you know, how prepared you are can probably impact your intensity too. Like, you no, know, it just – as simple as knowing what you're doing um, and, and playing with that freedom and playing with that confidence. So, um, yeah, I think they should be able to. This is the first true road game. It's out of state. It's, you know, a different environment and things like that. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy for UNC because I'm I'm just not going to say it's going to be an easy game for them. Um, but, you know, I'm not quite as concerned. But we will see. You know, we've seen UNC in this position before. So, um, you know, it is a time will tell situation, but I think, you know, just having that preparation, you know, set in place, uh, could probably help them out a lot. You know, I, I asked Mac on Monday about how do you, you, you preach that you have to be consistent. You preach that you have to, to bring it every game, but how do you actually get that accomplished? And, you know, he talked about, and this is something I've always heard in college football is you probably going to have your guys play their best four or five times a year. And the rest, and Max said it, the rest you have to just figure it out. Now, for this North Carolina team, over the last – during the Mac era, beyond the Mac era, Mac 2.0, they've always laid an egg hmm. when you thought they were turning the corner. And this is one of those games, straight out, that is that game for that to happen. So for me watching this game is you've got coaching staff that is very well versed in seeing this happen. You've got players who are very well versed in, in, in letting it happen. How do they react on Saturday night? And it'll say – Greg Barnes said it, and I'll refer to it. He said, we will, we will know everything we need to know about this North Carolina team after Minnesota and after Pitt. They handled business against Minnesota. I was impressed with how they handled business against Minnesota. I didn't think Minnesota was great, but again, Carolina can lose that game. Pitt is in the same situation. A desperate team, people in the chat are saying, you know, Phil Jakovic is a good player. Some people have said since he broke his hand or hurt his hand, he hadn't been the same guy. Whatever. He torched Carolina for Boston College two, three years ago, whenever it was. Needed a Trey Morrison play to yeah. save that game. Two-point conversion. Yeah. Pick two 
What Pick do you two. Think? Yeah. <laughs> you needed I that play. I was you, up there. Yeah. You, you needed that play. Um, whew, if he by the way, leave, it's a whole kick like that. It's the ACC opener for UNC, too, to go back to the intensity question. Yeah. Like, uh, there is no excuses. Yeah. You can get beat, right? You, mm-hmm. you can lose, but you cannot lose because you didn't bring it. And Mac has said, if you do everything you can do and you still get beat, you tip your hat. That can't happen for North Carolina if they're going to accomplish anything this season. Pittsburgh is the classic North Carolina egg game. Uh, not going to say the egg bowl, Mississippi State, Mississippi, <laughs> but, it, but it has the potential to be that. I'll be looking to see if North Carolina has gotten over that hump, that hurdle of, of laying those at least once a season. Building off of that in terms of improvement and continuing to get better, this is a question from Slagle. This one's for Adam Smith. Where does the offense and defense need to improve the most after three games? Adam, what do you think? That's an interesting question from Slagle. Um, I think I'm inclined to say offensively, I, I just feel like, okay, so Nate McCollum is now has been inserted into the offense, is full go, and, you know, obviously went freaking berserk uh, with the 15 catches, 165 yards. Um, so I think that – I don't know if it's fair to say, like, you sort of reset what you think UNC's offense is, but I don't know if it's an improvement. I, what I'll be interested to see is where they go from here, having established the fact that Nate McCollum is capable of producing a game like that. I don't think – we might not ever see a game like that from him again now that – you know, people have seen him do that, you know, opposing defenses. Um, but, you know, I think it's – I just think it's – offensively, I think it's all about just continuing to find the consistency and the balance that they have shown that they are capable of having. I mean, they, they ran for 319, I think it was, uh, against App, and then Drake throws for 414 against Minnesota. It, by the way, another stat for you, that is the first time in UNC football history that the Tarios have had – a 200-yard rusher and a 400-yard passer in back-to-back games. It's happened in the same season before, but it's never happened in back-to-back games. Uh, Sam Howell and Michael Carter and Javante Williams were responsible for several uh, in, uh, I guess it was 2020. Um, but And by the way, we were talking about that earlier, the Virginia Tech game in 2020. You remember who the starting quarterback was for the Hokies? Hendon Hooker. Uh, who I thought was a stud. How the hell Virginia did they ever let never, him get out of there? I mean, my they, God. He, they wouldn't play him. I mean, there was there was one game that if he starts, they easily beat Carolina. And he came in at the very end, and they almost beat Carolina anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be why Fuente isn't the coach there anymore, I would think, I guess. I don't know. They were, they were cash considerations for somebody else or something, but that dude could play in Virginia Tech. It certainly um, helped the slide start in the post-Beamer era up there. And I would say for defense, because I would never want to shortchange Slagle, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about how the front seven is played. I think there's a lot to like about the number of bodies they're getting in on the defensive line. I guess what I would say is sort of nailing down who the second corner is opposite Marcus Allen, because – You've had Tayon Holloway there. Obviously, I think they would like to have Elijah Hussey and Marcus Allen at cornerback. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think Hussey is entrenched now at star because I don't think they trust DJ Jones there. I'll do respect to DJ Jones. Um, so I think I think nailing down who your second corner is. I guess right now we asked Jeremiah. We asked today. You know, is Armani Ch- Chapman the answer? And Cedric Gray wouldn't exactly go there. Uh, he was diplomatic about it, but. Um, so corner and then, you know, sort of the rotation at safety because you have stick lane and will Hardy working back to the mix into the mix. Now, uh, they put a lot of snaps on geo biggers and Don Chapman, but stick lane had five tackles the other day against Minnesota. So I think just sort of, you know, knowing who you, knowing who you, you have in each particular role, sort of role identification, I guess I would say for the secondary, I hope that's not too nerdy of an answer. For what it's worth, on the pit depth chart, Armani Chapman is listed first above Teon Holloway. Take that with a grain of salt, of course. Depth charts are not worth a ton, but it was interesting to see Chapman up there. I have a question for Tommy and a question for Jeremiah before we leave tonight. Starting first with Tommy, who do you predict will be the wide receiver two 
This question is from MCAM. You know, before Saturday, last Saturday, I would have said Kobe Pesor, um, but he sort of vanished in Nate McCollum's wake. Caught one ball. Yeah, for four yards, I believe it was. And that was totally – I thought McCollum would free up a ton of guys to do a lot of things. Now, I had no idea in the process of freeing those guys up, he'd catch, <laughs> you know, 15 balls, 16 balls, and have 20-some targets. Um, but you guys had J.J. Jones today in the Kenyon Football Center, who's a fabulous interview, a great kid, bright future ahead of him, whether it's on the football field or in the broadcast booth or on the radio side of it. I mean, just a an interesting guy, delightful guy to talk to. And he stepped up. And, you know, when you have a, a guy like Nate McCullum, who, if Pitt wants to bracket him, which I'm sure they will, then fine. I would love to be an outside receiver if they're going to bracket Nate McCullum because that means I'm going to have single coverage and all I got to do is beat one guy and Drake's going to get me the ball. So who will it be? Well, Blackwell we've talked about. He, he's got some health issues. We'll see if he plays. If he does not, which is pretty, probably a pretty good bet, I would say J.J. Jones is that guy, given how Kobe was last week. Kobe's a slot by nature. Um, but, I, you know, Jeff in the chat says he still think he's number two, but I think J.J. has shown that. And, man – Adam and Jeremiah, you guys can get in on this, and, and y'all talked about it with some of the players. If Andre Green Jr. can just have one or two big plays and it suddenly click in his brain and, and for him, then I think we're talking about him being a potential two or three. Um, but Jones, I think Jones right now has to be the number two for this team up at Pitt. Pitt's going to give up deep throws if Carolina can get open. I mean, guys have made a ton of money in the NFL off their pit tape, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and this game offers that for a guy like Jones, a guy like Kobe. Um, so we'll see. So all that for a non-answer, but I still think, you know, 65-35, J.J. Jones this week at least. Speaking of depth chart, this one, Jeremiah, is for you. Tar Heel Wizard asks, who starts at running back this week? Is it British Brooks? Or is it Amari and Hampton? I'm thinking they probably do stick with Hampton. Um, I will say the it was very interesting last game. They did not um, find a ton of success early on running the ball. Um, a lot of that was just because that was a lot of you know by design. I just pulled it up just because I wanted to double check. Hampton last week had 13 carries to Brooks 11. Um, neither one had great yards per carry days, but. Hampton was 3.5 yards a carry, British books 2.3. So I think, you know, honestly, with stuff like that, when the carries are that even split, I mean, they use those guys in similar ways to, like, you can put whoever out there first and, you know, whoever's just more productive that day is going to, you know, kind of be their guy just that particular day. Um, I do think Hampton probably did. At first, I was thinking, you know, if Brooks was healthy, they'd probably roll him out first against um, Minnesota. They ended up putting out Hampton uh, anyway, especially after the game he had against App State. So I do think Hampton probably starts it off. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, to me, with that position specifically, I mean, whoever you put out there first, it really just depends on who has the hot hand. You know, I think that's just that type of position. But to answer the question, I will say Amari and Hampton. And you know what I was thinking as Jeremiah was talking there? Sorry, I hope I didn't step on anybody's feet. How about shout-out to Amarion Hampton on the blitz pickup. We wrote about it in the game scoop. Um, the touchdown pass to Bryson Nesbitt. Yeah. Um, like that – I mean, that talk about a coming-of-age moment. And I know he didn't even touch the ball on the play, but, you know, that that has been one of the the, the, the learning curve for Amarion Hampton coming from – Clayton, North Carolina, where I'm sure he ran over every hapless <laughs> fellow in the world. Would you like to try to tackle Amarion Hampton in high school football? I saw uh, it from field level. I wouldn't have gotten out there. And oh uh, there, there were a lot God. of guys that uh that tried yet did not did not accomplish that. I will tell you as we we have I just love the setup we have where 
It's me and Jeremiah and Evan Rogers sitting there together. And I will tell you that as we watched that play live, I automatically assumed that was British Brooks. Um, you know, they're both, you know, I mean, we're so high up there and you see a two. I was like, well, that that was a really nice blitz pickup by British Brooks at Minnesota. If you guys remember the play, brought the corner off the high side. It was a cornerback mm-hmm. blitz. And Omarion was actually lined up on the other side of Drake. He was lined up on the, the away from the blitz. And he slid over, picked the guy up. Drake throws it to Nesbitt, touchdown Tar Heel. So um, I just wanted to throw that in there as he was talking about the running backs. I thought that was a – for a guy that just ran for 234 yards, I thought it was a really neat moment uh, for him and in his development. He has improved so much in that area. I, I mean, what's Jason Staples always say on our shows? Number one job of a running back is do not get your quarterback killed. And for him to be able to step up and make that play – and I was trying to find the, the stats. I think um, Greg may have referenced it on his on, on Hampton's ability to to improve in that regard. But yeah, I, I agree with what Jeremiah said. It doesn't really matter who starts. As impressive as North Carolina's win was against Minnesota, the fact that they were able to run it once in the third quarter and then dominate on the ground in the fourth quarter says a lot for me as far as how this season's shaping out. Uh, last year, you know, they won some ball games. They never had a moment like that. It was always the Drake May show doing it. This year they've got so many more options. They travel to Pitt, I think, ACC Network at 8 o'clock Saturday night. ton of great football games on all throughout the day. Make sure you check out the game plan on Thursday night here at Inside Carolina, 9 o'clock live, Jason, Greg, and myself. Uh, if you didn't watch Taylor Vipolis and Jeff Shopmer's show, dropped on Tuesday. Coast to Coast will drop tomorrow, a little basketball break for everybody. Got a baseball article coming out on the Diamond Hills message board. It's fall season for Scott wow. Forbes and the Tar Heels. A lot of new names to learn for the baseball team. And then Saturday, I see live, 5-7, to seven, ahead of Pitt, North Carolina at 8 o'clock. Adam and Jeremiah and Mr. Jim Hawkins – We'll be in Pittsburgh bringing you all the coverage from there. Joey and I will handle the IC Live portion ahead of the game. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. John Bowman's the producer. Jeremiah and Adam are the stars. I'm the host. It's always been fun. Another Tuesday night in the books. North Carolina Pitt, Saturday. I see here every day. Thanks, guys. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.